Welcome back to another season of the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelions.com, and this year, I am joined by Kelly Ford. Kelly, how are you today? I'm doing well, Brett. We've got uh, week zero of the 2023 college football season quickly approaching. Can't wait. It's so much fun talking college football with you as we get going. Yeah, we got three more conference previews. We've got a futures preview for you, CFP, some other stuff. And then we talk week zero. It's right here. It is. We're into August, and the college football season is officially here. And today we are going to break down the Big 12. It's the final time we will see some of the mainstays like Texas and Oklahoma in the league. And a year before we welcome in a whole host of new characters. Let me tell you, I don't like conference realignment. I know you don't like conference realignment. I don't think the college football community as a whole is really on board with conference realignment to the extreme in which it's gone. But I kind of think this new Big 12 looks a little bit fun, adding the Arizona schools and Utah and then re-adding Colorado. Yeah, on the surface, Brett, you're right. There is some, There are some positives to the Big 12 realignment that we have moving forward. Most notably is Colorado coming back. I mean, I associate Colorado with the Big 12 because for me, I kind of froze all the conference affiliations in like 2006, just given where I was in my stage of life and, and enjoying college football, coming to love it. So it makes sense to me for Colorado to come back. I don't like what's happening as a whole. Um, I don't like that we're breaking geography. To me, one of the best aspects of college football is the regionality of it. I think that's the way college football is meant to be. Again, that's just me. Maybe I'm yelling at clouds on this one. So we don't have to spend too much time on it. I think you're right. There are benefits to what we're going to see moving forward. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm saddened by what's happening. But there's little, if anything, we can do about it. So just going to enjoy the 2023 season even more for that reason. Yeah, and I am going to enjoy a Friday night matchup where Texas Tech plays at Arizona and 155 points are scored. But that's about the extent of it. But here, we are we are here to talk about this year's Big 12. And I want to start at the top. Now, in my power ratings, which is a conglomeration of the FPI, SP+, a whole host of other, Sagarin, all the likes, I have Texas and Oklahoma in a tier of their own. And I even think I have Texas maybe in a tier by themselves, and then I have a little bit of a gap before everyone else. But what do your numbers say? Yeah, Brett, I'm with you. I'm going to break some news here. I'm pretty positive at this point. I am going to revert back to a public rating of points per game above or below FBS average. So I'm going to ditch the 0 to 100 scale in season and go back to uh, the original there. So breaking that news for anyone that will know who watches the show based on who who has the information uh, since I haven't released that anywhere else. But I agree with you on paper in the preseason, the Big 12 is a two-team race. Uh, I'm projecting 7.3 conference wins for Texas, and I give the Longhorns about a 72% chance to make this conference championship game right now while I'm projecting 6.5 conference wins for Oklahoma, and that equates to about a 48% chance for the Sooners to make it to Arlington in their final year of the Big 12 here, as you alluded to. The next best chance for a team to make it to to the championship game is Kansas State, which has just about a 20% chance and is projecting at 5.5 conference wins for me, so that's a full game behind Oklahoma. So for those reasons, I agree with you. It is a two-team race. Um, I've said that before, and I've been wrong, especially about these two teams in particular, uh, Texas most notably. So we'll see if 2023 is different, but that's how it's shaping up now for me in the preseason. Well, if history tells us anything, it's that the Big 12 is about peaking at the right time. It's not necessarily who's the most talented or who's most ready going into the season. If you look just recently, Oklahoma State and Baylor in 2021 peaked at the right time. Baylor definitely fell off the year after. Kansas State, TCU last year peaked at the right time. I think TCU has a lot of the makings of that 2021 Baylor team where they overachieved and they lost a whole bunch, and maybe they'll take a step back. And I'm not calling for a five-win season. We'll get to that. But 12-0, probably not in the cards for TCU. So while my preseason numbers say it's a two-team race, I'm almost positive we are going to be surprised by some sort of an overachiever. But let's start at the top and talk about Texas. I love this phrase. I throw it around all over the place. Texas is the ultimate get-off-the-bus team. It means when they get off the bus, you look at them and say, holy cow. Basically another word for saying on paper. But this roster is downright loaded. And that's undeniable. Now what they do with this loaded roster talent is up to Texas. And we've seen in the past, it doesn't always equate to wins on the field. But it's hard to deny 
the amount of dudes that are on this team. They go three deep at quarterback. Quinn Ewers, of course, who's going to be quarterback one. You have Malik Murphy, who I think is the second best quarterback on this team. Probably the most ready to step in place for Ewers if need be today. And then, of course, you have Arch Manning. We're probably not going to see him this year. At least I really hope we don't because I think something went horribly wrong if he's stepping in as a true freshman. They also have a ridiculous uh, skill core. Wide receivers returning. Xavier Worthy, one of the top receivers in college football, although he does need to uh, pick it up with the drops. Jordan Whittington, fifth-year veteran. Outstanding player, electric. They they return Isaiah Nayer, who missed all last season with the torn ACL. They originally landed him from Wyoming. Big deep threat. I think he's going to make an impact. Plus, they have JT Sanders at tight end, who is one of the big portal grabs. Super athletic. Very, very good player. Now, they add Georgia's A.D. Mitchell, which I don't think is talked about enough. He's just kind of a, yeah, you know, the other previews I've heard, like, yeah, they added a Donnie Mitchell. Okay, yeah, he's in. No, no, he out-targeted all the other receivers in their spring game. He was an X-factor. We forget about it because we haven't seen him on the field lately because he's been hurt. I think he is the dude in the wide receiver room, and I do say that knowing Xavier Worthy is in there as well. Now, the running back room might be a committee, but I do like C.J. Baxter. He's the number one running back in the 2022 class, and the offensive line finally has some experience. Kelvin Banks, top 10 prospect from Texas, is now a rising sophomore. He was very, very good uh, freshman All-American. The defense has some holes to fill, but I do like Jalen Ford at linebacker. Jalen Catalan was a nice portal add at safety. Phil Steele ranks every unit on Texas number one in the Big 12 and top 10 nationally across the board, offense and defense. What is your assessment of Longhorns this year? I can't disagree with a lot of that, Brett. I got to start with last year. Texas was the team that gave me the most headaches on Twitter. Uh, hands down, despite an eight win regular season and an eight and five final record in 2022, the Longhorns still finished the year power rated number seven in the country by my numbers. Now people already think Texas is overrated. So my numbers didn't help in that regard. Um, but there's a couple reasons that Texas finished where they did in my power ratings and in many other power rating sets out there, Texas lost some games, the numbers would suggest perhaps they shouldn't have. You could say they were quote unlucky to lose some of those most notably against Texas tech. Um, the Longhorns were very competitive against some of the most highly rated teams in my data set last year, most notably Alabama. And then Texas dominated a couple of teams with solid power ratings, such as Oklahoma. And I know Oklahoma didn't have a great year last year, but similar to Texas, the numbers like them more than their record would suggest. And again, I do the most deserving rankings too. And so Texas was nowhere near the top of the most deserving because they had so many regular season losses, but from a power rating perspective, when we're looking forward, we don't look at wins and losses. We look at if this game would have played out a hundred times, who wins more times than not. Texas performed very well in that area. So once again, this year coming into 2023, Texas is supposedly back and my numbers are buying it. I've got them at number six in the preseason. I have the Longhorns as a top 15 offense, a top 15 defense. So good to see Phil Steele's got them up there as well with all their unit rankings. They face the most difficult schedule of any big 12 team by my numbers. But there's only one game in which I'm currently projecting Texas as the underdog, and that's their week two trip to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue and say that, oh, I have Texas favored on the road at Alabama. That's just not realistic. But I don't have it very long. I I have it about 6.8, so 6.5 to 7 is about where I see that. You could have gotten them at 7.5 earlier. I wasn't ready to pull the trigger, especially with the kind of muddy waters that the quarterback room is so I didn't, well, on both sides, really. So I didn't do anything there. But I do have them as an underdog to Alabama and only Alabama. I have a one-score spread against Oklahoma and at TCU. But do note that the Frogs have won 10 of the last 13 matchups outright with Texas. So like we said on the other podcast, I do believe in Team A having Team B's number. And that is definitely, definitely an example of that. A couple of tricky spots on their schedule, though. You talked about it being really difficult. And I think it's a bit more difficult than maybe numbers would even suggest. They have this tricky spot where they go to Baylor. They come home against Kansas, who we know Kansas has beat them up a little bit lately and scored some points on them. And then they play Oklahoma going into their bye. Uh, They also have Kansas State at home and then travel to TCU. So if we're talking about body blows here, Kansas State will certainly give them a couple of body blows. Then to travel to TCU, in which you've only won three times since 2010, that's a tough spot to be in, I think, for Texas. Yeah, I don't disagree at all, and I'm with you on kind of the ranges of those projected spreads and some of their tougher games this year. I think those tricky spots are are something that's real, and, and Texas needs to be wary of here in 2023. They are, as I mentioned, habitual underachievers with regard to preseason uh, expectations and their final win-loss record. 
But the predictive analytics go deeper than just win-loss record, like I said. And they are suggesting there's reasons to believe this year will be different. I have a 52% chance of 10-plus regular season wins for Texas. And I do think they get to Arlington in their final season here in the Big 12. I know people say, Kelly, say that every year. I do. This year still feels different. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they if, if they prove me wrong because Texas has a way of doing that in recent times. But it seems that things be line, they're lining up in the right way for Texas this year. Yeah, the Longhorns have always had good rosters. But I think this is the year, the first year that I've seen that I think they truly have an elite roster, a top five, maybe, if you're just looking at talent nationally, up there with Georgia, up there with Ohio State, up there with Alabama. Like, seriously, that's the kind of talent that's on this roster. Now, whatever reasons that they underachieve for, be it politicking or, or meddling from boosters or whatever it might be that may lead to some serious pressure on the field and underperformance, that's not that cannot be accounted for in the numbers. So it's kind of a, if you're going to fade Texas, you're going to fade it on your own whim. That's fine. I'm not betting Texas Big 12 uh, futures at their numbers. Plus 100, I think. I've seen as low as minus 150. I'm not betting that. Uh, I, I don't think that that is a sound bet. I don't think there's a ton of value in there. But boy, if if it's not this year, it's never. Obviously, since they're leaving the Big 12. But if, if they're not winning this Big 12 with this kind of roster talent, there's no way that they're going to ever capture an SEC championship. Even though they're probably the better position of the two to do so in terms of spending. Um, yeah, Texas should be good. I, and I think they're the fact that they are located in Texas. I know it hasn't been the biggest deal while they've been in the Big 12. Oklahoma just goes down into the state of Texas and gets the players that they want or competes for the players that they want with other programs like Texas. But I agree, transitioning into the SEC, I certainly like Texas's position to compete at a high level year in and year out than Oklahoma's. Uh, this is a comp- uh, conversation for another day, Brett, but – as these teams transition into the SEC, I think they're going to find it very difficult. Um, they're used to being the big, big bad boys in the conference, and even that hasn't always yielded conference championships, as we've seen, especially with Texas. You're joining a whole different pond uh, when you're going over to the SEC. So again, I'm sure we'll get into that more in a future episode or future years, but Texas probably better position of the two. That doesn't guarantee anything, though, as we've seen. Yeah, well, let's talk about the other one, and that's Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Sooners extremely disappointing year one under Brent Venables. And I think they were probably the biggest, I don't know what your numbers say, but I know you have your metrics and over and under achievers, but in my opinion, just in terms of narrative and, and seeing what I saw, I think Oklahoma was the number one biggest underachiever of, of 2022. The defense was just awful. They didn't have the dudes, uh, you know, they had a ton of blown coverages. According to Bill Connolly, Oklahoma ranked seventh worst in wide open guys. Uh, you can check out his metric and what that defines, but just guys just on their own islands. Oklahoma blew that a lot. That's why they got 49 hung on them against Texas. But they also went 0-5 and one score games. And I do believe that in a program like Oklahoma, even though I haven't seen Venables as a head coach, they're probably due for some positive regression. A bounce here, a bounce there, a tip ball here. You know, that'll turn 0-5 into 2-3 and or 3-2. and And all of a sudden we're having a big, you know, much different conversation about Oklahoma. According to their spring reports, the athleticism is, quote, leaps and bounds ahead of last year, which is good because you saw that on the defensive end. They just did not have the athleticism to keep up. They do return Dylan Gabriel at quarterback. He was one of the best downfield passers, according to PFF. Only 1% of throws were turnover worthy. That's the second lowest in the nation. So he's a good decision maker. He's a veteran. He's thrown for a bajillion yards at his time at UCF in Oklahoma. He does return for another season. I think he's going to be pretty good. But they do lose their go-to guy in Marvin Mims. And I'm not really sure that they have a guy on this roster that can replace that go-to. Theo Weiss was their downfield threat. He's off to Missouri. So I'm not a huge fan of this receiving room. I think it's one of the worst in the Big 12. Um, But I think their backfield will be fine, even though they lose Eric Gray, 1,000-yard rusher. Javante Barnes, he, he jumps off the page. He jumps off the field. He's an athlete. He's a dude. I like him a lot. And they have no shortage of uh, portal help. They added seven offensive and defensive linemen. They signed the number eight overall transfer class, according to 247 Sports. I think they'll have more dudes on defense. If you're looking at like Danny Stutzman, he had 126 tackles last year. And I really think that there's, there's not many places for them to go but up. What do your numbers say about Oklahoma this year? Yeah, so while Texas and Oklahoma are my two preseason favorites in the Big 12, like I said, I, like you, kind of, I actually would be surprised if they both made the conference championship game. That's just how this conference goes. 
It's how these two programs tend to perform recently. And to be fair to Oklahoma, as I said earlier, it has been Texas that has underachieved more regularly, at least recently, last year notwithstanding. Um, Just last season, like I said, Oklahoma was among my top 10 biggest underachievers, something you pointed to there, Brett. Um, They won just six regular season games. That's a full three games fewer than I projected in the preseason. So projected nine um, in last year's preseason. Year two under Venables this year. I am buying back in with the numbers. Uh, I'm projecting 9.3 regular season wins. So yes, I do expect this year's Sooner team to be more talented than last year. But for me, the main storyline is absolutely the schedule. So uh, the Big 12 did Oklahoma quite a few favors, I think, on their way out the door, whereas Texas didn't quite get the same same level of love when it came time to make the schedule. Um, Oklahoma does not face Kansas State, Texas Tech, or Baylor all teams that I'm projecting to be top 30 nationally and in the top six in the Big 12. On top of that, they get their projected three toughest opponents who are not named Texas at home. That would be Iowa State, UCF, and TCU. Of course, Texas is the neutral site um, in the Red River Shootout. Yeah, I only make them an underdog to Texas. Again, that's on the neutral site. I have one score spreads at Oklahoma State, which I thought was interesting. I think my numbers are a little bit more bullish on Oklahoma State than I am. I don't love the vibes i guess for lack of a better term around that program uh and then also one score spread versus tcu i would not overlook their week four game at cincinnati that is the first game that the bearcats are going to be playing in the big 12 nippert stadium is rocking it is one of the most unsung crazy atmospheres in college football and i think oklahoma you know if they play this game at night i I haven't checked kick times on this but if they go there night, i mean they're gonna have their hands full that crowd i think that game will be a lot closer than perhaps the numbers may uh tell at first I also think that coming off their bye week, it's a little tricky. I don't think it's difficult. I wouldn't even call it a murderer's row by chance, but it's like they have the bye week and then they host UCF. They go at Kansas, who is coming off a bye, and then at Oklahoma State. I think that's going to be a little bit more arduous than maybe the numbers would suggest because this is the last time that we're getting Bedlam. And Mike Gundy and company are pissed about it. So I think they're going to come in there probably outperform what they should, even though I don't really love Oklahoma State this year. You just get kind of those rivalry games, especially with that, you know, kick them, kick them in the butt out the door. Uh, I think that stretch can be a little more difficult, but but I'm with you. They have one of the easier schedules in the Big 12. Yeah, I didn't really think about the Cincinnati, at Cincinnati game week four. Um, and Oklahoma's coming off a trip to Tulsa uh, the week before that. It is since his first game in the Big 12. You, you mentioned Nipper State. Like, that could be tricky. I, I'm totally with you, on, and I was tracking on the at Oklahoma State game. That's absolutely going to be something. I hope that's a night game. Um, last bedlam we're going to get for the foreseeable future. Very much looking forward to that one uh, in week 10 there, following a trip to Kansas for Oklahoma, which we've seen them you know, maybe have some issues up there, not to the level of Texas recently, but that could be tricky too. I'm projecting the Sooners to have a top 10 offense and a top 40 defense. So even with that, um, there's only one game I'm currently projecting Oklahoma to be an underdog in, same as you, week six, Red River shootout against Texas. Other than that, my numbers like uh, Oklahoma by at least six in every game. But like I mentioned a couple times now, even though they're the favorites, I don't think both Texas and OU make it to Arlington. And like I said, I like Texas slightly more. So I guess that means I'm going against my numbers on this and saying that I think a team other than Oklahoma will join the Longhorns in the Big 12 championship this year. I like that. It's never the chalk in the Big 12. It never is. And I think a lot of people seem to think that Texas Tech – Maybe that team peaking at the right time. I don't know if I'm there. I have a different long shot that I think may make it to Arlington that we will talk about eventually. Kind of a little teaser there. But it's not this team. This is the team that took it home last year. This is Kansas State we're talking about here. Excellent season last year. They lost to Tulane early, and everyone was kind of panicking. Like, oh, geez, how did you drop that? Turned out to be an okay loss, considering Tulane finished in the top 10 at the end of the year. They lost to TCU by 10 and Texas by a score. They closed their season on a four-game win streak before they ran into Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, who put the foot down and reminded them that they are the Alabama Crimson Tide. Will Howard took over for Adrian Martinez in that TCU game after Martinez got hurt, being the, I think, second in a line of like 16 quarterbacks in a row to get injured against TCU, to the point where people were actually accusing them of doing it on purpose. They weren't doing it on purpose, but that's a discussion for another time. Will Howard, really good. 15 touchdowns, four interceptions, fourth in the Big 12 in returning passing efficiency. He was number 12 nationally in big-time throw rate, according to Pro Football Focus, and he's back. 
However, he is missing his running mate in the backfield, Deuce Vaughn, who is just absolute electricity on the field. But they do add Treshawn Ward from Florida State, who I think is, is a really nice add. I think he's a good football player, and I think they can run an offense through him. He's not Deuce Vaughn. He's very, very different in his run style. But I think he can be somebody that can be a centerpiece in this offense. They do need to find a number one uh, wide receiver. Phillip Brooks, maybe. Keegan Johnson, he comes in from Iowa, nice player. I don't know if they really have an alpha on that team. Uh, Phillip Brooks did make the all-Big 12 team as a kick returner or a punt returner or just a return man, uh, but not as a wide receiver. This offensive line, though, should be one of the best in the nation. Cooper Beebe, Christian Duffy, those are legit NFL prospects. They're ranked number two in the conference and 11th nationally per Phil Steele, only behind Texas, as we talked about. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, they lose a, a top pass rusher in two stud corners, Julius Brent. Felix Anaduke, uh, whoa, King Felix, how about that? I was going to try to pronounce that last name. Getting a little over my skis here. But they do have a rising starter, Brennan Mott, on the defensive line, I think can be a disruptor. He was pretty disruptive last year. Now, does it have to do with a lot of attention on King Felix? Yeah, probably a little bit, but I still think he's going to be a pretty good player. And then corner Kobe Savage, he was named All-Big 12 in the preseason. Last year, they had a plus-12 turnover margin. That was fifth best in the country. Is there a little bit of regression due? Yeah, probably. But I do think that a lot of those turnovers were forced by the Kansas State defense rather than landing in their lap, per se. Yeah, Brett, you mentioned it. People forget, since TCU played in the national championship game last year, that Kansas State's the team that won the Big 12. Uh, it was a great game, very exciting. And, of course, they got revenge uh, on the Horned Frogs from their regular season loss that they put on them earlier in the year, as you mentioned. So, the Wildcats really caught me by surprise last year as they won nine regular season games. You outlined some of the reasons potentially why, um, but that was 2.1 more than I projected in the preseason. So coming into this year, I have Kansas State squarely in the mix in the group of teams just behind Texas and Oklahoma, a group that you and I both agree somebody's going to come out of there and make, make their way to Arlington. I'm projecting Kansas State to be a very balanced team. They're top 30 nationally on both offense and defense right now uh, by my numbers, and that puts them around number 20 overall in my preseason power rating. So I think this is a very good team this year and a team that um, it's one of those teams and programs that my numbers in my model kind of historically almost underrate, undervalue. It's just there's there's the intangibles around this program. Uh, South Carolina maybe comes to mind as another one. Iowa with some of their uh, special teams uh, prominence that they have comes to mind. There's just certain teams that my numbers can't quite capture fully all the benefits and all the strengths that they bring. This is this team is kind of one of those for me, and so I recognize that. I, I use that coming into the season, but the numbers are what the numbers are. Um, I have Kansas State as underdogs at Texas in Week Ten. And then I have it as a pick'em game at Texas Tech, team you mentioned earlier, in Week Seven. Um, those are the only two games, though, that I don't currently have Kansas State listed as the favorite. So there's a bunch of projected close games, um, and with that, that's how I get to my 7.9 average projected wins and just a 35% chance to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of nine. So really, really good team. Expect a lot of close games. A lot of those things broke their way that last year. Um, we'll see if it happens again this year. I think maybe a little bit regression in terms of win-loss record, but still a really, really good team. Yeah, I, I think I make five one-score games if I had to comb through and look. Two of those I consider toss-ups. TCU, Texas Tech, those are both under point uh, for, for me here. And yeah, a, a, an underdog at uh, Texas, of course. But there's a lot of variance here. Five one-score games or however many one-score games you make, that's that's tough. You know, I'm, like we said, a few bad bounces can turn that into one and four. I'm making seven on my end, Brad, as I'm Holy looking at that smokes. real quick. So, I mean, that's more than half your schedule, right? If, if the yeah. ball bounces against you in those games, you're looking at a terrible win-loss record when your team's actually pretty good. Yeah, but the win total, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I have 7.9 wins. They do play, by my numbers, the third toughest schedule in the Big 12. Uh, a tough stretch to watch for them, I suppose, while we're doing this. At Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech, then they welcome TCU, and that's coming off their bye. I think that that could be a little tough, especially with that Texas Tech sandwich in there. We're talking about body blows. They come into TCU. TCU is going to be itching to beat them after that Big 12 championship game. But, yeah, by all accounts, a very good team, extremely well coached. Chris Kleiman has this. I mean, the fact that you can pick up after Bill Schneider and just continue or even exceed, it's crazy. I think it's one of the best coaching jobs in the country, hands down, uh, by Chris Kleiman there. But let's talk about the national runners-up, TCU. Now, the numbers don't exactly point to 
the luck that surrounded this team. Maybe because it wasn't the luck in the turnover department. Maybe it wasn't the luck going 7-0 and in one-score games. This was just a team that found themselves in the right situation at the right place at the right time. And like we said, peaked when all the other schools weren't. Max Duggan comes out from not winning the starting job week one to the Heisman runner-up. I mean, it just one of the all-time great stories in college football. Obviously, that luck ran out in the national championship game, but who cares at that point? You're, you're not going to take that away from TCU fans. They do lose offensive coordinator Garrett Riley to Clemson. They bring in Kendall Bryles from Arkansas of that Bryles name that had a very public thing go on at Baylor, who's their arch rival. It's a very interesting situation, very torn in the fan base, but you know, if you're just looking at X's and O's, Kendall Bryles is a pretty solid hire in the offensive coordinator. But they're also losing pretty much everything on offense. 41% returning production is 11th, 11th fewest nationally. They do have a pretty nice transfer class. I think Sonny Dykes did an awesome job selling that national championship run that they have there. They're bringing in a few Alabama guys that are from the DFW Metroplex, including five-star Trey Sanders at running back. And the number five offensive tackle transfer in Tommy Brockermeyer. Uh, they also signed their highest recruiting class ever, 20th in the nation. I think that's pretty good considering they had some runs in 2013 and 14 where they were pretty darn good. They did go 5-1 and one in one-score games with that Big 12 championship game being their only loss. And they also allowed 89 plays with 20 or more yards. That's the second most nationally, even though this defense, if you look at the counting stats, wasn't that bad. We do know that there's a lot of shootouts and a lot of back and forth. And I think that that 20-plus yard play stat really kind of outlines that. But I think this year the defense is going to be really good, I think. They, they might even be better than the offense, to be honest. And I will go out on a limb and say that. Josh Newton, Dominic Williams, Johnny Hodges, they're all Big 12 selections in the preseason. I think this unit could be pretty good. Yeah, I talk a lot, Brad, about my biggest over and underachievers from 2022. I think it provides good context um, for looking at a team just at the very base level uh, off the top going into 2023. TCU was my number one overachiever last season. More than anybody else, they overachieved. They won 12 regular season games, of course, on their way to an undefeated regular season. That was a whopping 5.6 more games than I projected in the preseason. They darn near doubled what I expected in terms of win total from the regular season. It's absolutely unheard of. They deserve all the credit in the world for doing what they did, making it to the national championship game. I mean, beating Michigan in the college football playoff semifinal in an absolutely phenomenal game. We know it went south in the championship game, but it goes south against Georgia for just about everybody. The Horn Frogs did lose quite a bit of production. You mentioned it. Um, and I'm projecting TCU, even with that, to still be the third best team in the Big 12. Now they have the fourth best odds to make the Big 12 championship game by my number behind Kansas State. But that has more to do with the schedule than the actual quality of the teams, even though I do have these teams basically um, at about the same level right now. But I do give TCU just a slight edge. Interesting, Brett, that you said you think the defense could be the better of the two units. Um, that's that's a it's a semi bold claim, I would say, because right now, I mean, I have this as a top fifteen unit nationally on offense, and the defense projecting somewhere in the mid thirties. It's possible those they could the offense could regress a little bit, the defense could be a little improved, and now you're much closer. But uh, right now, to me, that's that's pretty bold, um, and so I, I'll be tracking that for sure. Now that now that we've said that, and something for me to keep an eye on. Um, projecting mid thirties on the defense isn't necessarily in and of itself a huge issue for me. I mean, many teams would take that in a heartbeat. The concern for me comes in when you consider the fact that TCU faces the seventh most difficult collection of opposing FBS offenses, with seven of their opponents boasting offenses in the top 30 nationally. So, I mean, more than half the games TCU is going to play, they're going to be playing an offense in which I'm giving the edge to their opposing offense over the TCU defense as it stands now. Now, if the defense ends up being the better of the two units, as you said, assuming the offense hasn't regressed a ton, maybe that nullifies a little bit. But the fact of the matter remains, TCU's defense is going to be facing a ton of high-quality offenses this year. That's part of the nature of playing in the Big 12. We know that. Um, but that's just something to keep an eye on. I do have the Horn Frogs favored in each of their first seven games, but then only once in the final five games. Brett, this was probably, as I prepared for this episode, I even tweeted about it, this is probably the biggest thing that stood out to me as I was reviewing team schedules and where do I have projected strengths and weaknesses. TCU's schedule is so backloaded. It reminds me a little bit of USC. Um, it's such a brutal stretch to end the year for TCU with trips to Manhattan, Lubbock, Norman, 
and home games against Texas and Baylor. I mean, anywhere from seven to nine wins is the most likely for me here. Just a 13% chance to win 10 plus games in the regular season. Brett, I have it as less than a 1% chance that they match last year and go 12 and 0. But if you would have asked me at the beginning of last year, what are the chances TCU goes 12 and 0? I probably would have told you less than 1%. So they proved me wrong once. We'll see if they can do it again. It's not just that they're favored in their first seven games. I mean, I mean they should be favored by a lot in, in most of these games. I don't think my numbers have them uh, with a lower implied win probability than 65% or 64% in these first seven games. You have Colorado, Nichols, Houston, SMU, which will be interesting. That is a crosstown rivalry as well. West Virginia, Iowa State, BYU, and then, of course, they get Kansas State. But they should. It would be a serious disappointment if they didn't walk into that Kansas State game 7-0. Like, serious disappointment. Uh, and you said it. You know, last year, your numbers would have said fewer than a 1% chance of of winning 12 games. But they are an excellent example of how these numbers work. We're not saying that, you know, if I make TCU for 8.3 wins, that that means they are only going to win 8 games and nothing else. Or I'm counting out their schedule and saying they're going to win 8 games. That means there's still that 10% chance that they could exceed that and go 9-3, and 10-2, and 11-1, right? That's, that probability still exists, but it's a small probability. And I just, I can't imagine that everything falls their way again. Now, Sonny Dykes, really impressive in year one. I think he's a very good coach. I think he'll lead this team to future success. But you're, you're, not, there's, you're not going 12-0 again. <laughs> and if they do, that's great. I, I just, I'm not a huge believer in Chandler Morris, to be honest. I think he's okay. He reminds me a little bit of Blake Shapin where there's a lot of magic at the start and then he kind of tapers off. It's like, oh, okay, maybe not that much work. But TCU, definitely inbound for some regression. Doesn't mean that they're going to be bad and doesn't mean that they're not going to compete in the Big 12. I have been waiting to talk about this team. I have been on a soapbox with UCF all offseason long. I love this team. I took a 50 to 1 long shot flyer on them to win the conference. That's about 1.96% chance, 2% chance. So, you know, it's kind of stock trading. Do I think UCF wins this conference? Probably not. But at 50 to 1, and you're giving me a 2% chance, I think that they have a greater than 2% chance to win. And I also took over 6.5 wins. I think that this is the most ready team that's joining the Big 12 this year of the four that are. They have a former SEC head coach. I think a very talented roster. They do replace both coordinators, but the newcomers are both experienced. The schedule, I think, is a bit tougher than the numbers say. They're non-conference at Boise State. By all accounts, a very difficult game. They also visit Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Texas uh, Texas Tech in Big 12 play. Uh, but the numbers do say that's the fourth easiest slate in the Big 12. So, could be worse. John Rice Plumley, He's a gamer. I think he's great. I think I'm higher on him than most. I know he's not a pure passer. I know he's not an excellent thrower of the ball, but he's a very good athlete. And he's one of those guys, like you saw with Max Duggan, where like when the time comes, he's going to make the play. He reminds me of Diego Pavia and, and Duggan and all those kind of gritty players that are like, hey, third and one, I'm putting my shoulder down and getting that uh, first down. I think the wide receiver room is pretty good too. Uh, Javon Baker, Kobe Hudson are their top guys. They do have to replace Isaiah Bowser in the backfield. He had 16 touchdowns last year, big bruiser. But R.J. Harvey, who they are returning, was third team all AAC last year. What do you think of my UCF Knights? I think it's awesome that you're so into them. Uh, there's, I've got something I like about UCF this year. It has nothing to do with the actual team. I'll get to it in a second. But to react to some of the things that you said there, Brett, um, you took a 51 long shot flyer on them to win the conference. So if I'm looking at my numbers, I have a 10% chance that UCF makes the conference championship game. So that would mean that would mean you said it's about a two percent implied at the fifty to one. They just have to have at least a twenty percent chance to then win that game. And I mean, I'm looking at what's a twenty percent. I mean, if Texas is the team they're playing, a neutral site, yeah. I mean, 10, 10, 12 points somewhere, 10, 11, 12 points somewhere around there. That's about twenty, maybe a little bit more than twenty percent. So I think actually, from an odds perspective and a numbers perspective, two percent is not a big percentage. That means the way I always look at this, and I know betters don't like hearing it or whatever, but it's a 98% chance that it's not going to happen. Um, but for the odds that you took it at versus what I'm looking at now, I, I can get behind that. I can I can support that if you're looking for a long shot. Um, over 6.5 wins, I have a 71% chance that they're going to win seven plus regular season games. So really like that one, um, e- even more than the, the, the long shot there to win the conference. Um, of the four new Big 12 members, 
I expect UCF to, to have the most successful year, uh, year one transition here coming into the Big 12. They have a top 40-ish offense and defense and one of the easier schedules in the conference. I know you said you think that maybe the schedule is a little bit tougher than the numbers say. I have it as the second, uh, the third easiest schedule in the conference. So, um, again, they don't get they don't have to play Texas. They don't have to play TCU. Those are two of the better teams. Um, they do have some tough road games, like you said. But I have them number 33 in the preseason. I mentioned the 10% chance to make the conference championship game. Honestly, my favorite thing about this UCS squad this year, again, I said it had nothing to do with the actual team. It's their schedule, Brett. Their schedule is a palindrome with the bye week in week seven serving as the inflection point. So they go home away, home away, home away, home away with a bye, and then they come back away home, away home, away home, away home to end the year. I look at every FBS team schedule every year. You you don't see this very often, especially from a Power 5 program, because you have to get the non-conference to line up into that too and the conference. So it's a very rare occurrence. I think it's interesting that that you're so high on this team or just so intrigued by them. Certainly not the going to be the worst team in in the the Big Twelve this year. The best of the new members, um, but I think they're probably hard pressed to to make a serious run. But man, I, I love the symmetry of the schedule. That's outstanding. That is attention to detail, folks. Those are the kind of nuggets you're going to get on this podcast and no others because I've not heard that before. That's amazing. A schedule palindrome. Most I'm people probably don't like care, that. but I think it's interesting. <laughs> I think that's actionable information, of course. We could definitely, I don't know, factor that into their win total. Which, by the way, if you are looking for their win total, has gone up to seven in some places, at least with reasonable juice. Uh, FanDuel, as of recording here, has over seven for minus 105. Uh, it's still going by Kelly's numbers. 71% chance to win seven plus, so push or or win. You're certainly not going to lose, uh, except 29% chance there. If you do want to buy at six and a half, you're paying like a buck seventy. Uh, that is too much juice for me. I think once you get into that, the I think the respected number is about the 60, 70 cent range is when it starts to count for about a half, uh, half game there. I, I'm not buying one. I'm not tying my money up in, in, in 170 for a win total. But UCF, I will be on this bandwagon until I'm proven wrong. And hopefully that is not until at least late in the season. Let's make some money on them. But I want to talk about a team that was another huge overachiever. And I think the Big 12 as a whole last year might have overachieved with the exception of Texas and Oklahoma, but this is Kansas Jayhawks. Now, right off the bat, I bet under six and a half wins at the open. It's down to six, five and a half, depending on where you look. The fact that they were giving me basically seven as the line, that they have to get to seven wins for Kansas, I don't know about that. I think we saw their absolute ceiling last year. They gave up 30 or more points nine times. And their last four games, they gave up 43, 55, 47, and 55. That is not a sustainable model for success. Uh, they also start off 5-0, and which is great. But it was against a slew just underachievers. West Virginia, Houston, Iowa State. The Duke win was pretty good. But for some reason, Duke only scored 11 points on this Kansas defense. And I think if they replayed that Duke team later in the year when they got their act together, I don't think that that's a win for Kansas whatsoever. Nobody in the country returns more production than Kansas. 85% on total roster, 91% on offense. They basically bring everybody except their left guard back. Jalen Daniels, he's one of the better quarterbacks, I think, nationally returning and one of the best in the Big 12. Him and Jason Bean were both top five in EPA last year, minimum 100 snaps. Devin Neal, dynamic running back, he also returns. The secondary and linebackers return pretty much everything, and they're all new up front. The problem is... The defensive line was their only half-serviceable unit last year on defense, and I'm very concerned about this defense moving into 2023. They have not shown me any reason why they would improve in the slightest. They were 115th in EPA per play and the 12th worst in success rate allowed. This defense was catastrophic. But what do you make of Kansas coming into this year? Because I've seen a lot of people say that they think that they are bull, like bull-worthy. It's so interesting to me which fan bases get behind my numbers, which fan bases take issue with them. I really never would have thought that the Kansas fan base would be one that was taking exception with my numbers, but I've kind of seen that over the course of the summer here. Let me start with last year. Kansas was my number eight biggest overachiever. Uh, Jayhawks won six regular season games and went bowling. That's huge for a Kansas program. It's just remarkable considering, considering my preseason odds to go bowling for this team were at 1%. Um, 
But again, as a result, you, and you mentioned it, I think we're seeing a little bit of an overreaction uh, for this year in terms of the real, realistic expectations for this team with the Vegas opening line over under and then also just the fans. I mean, to your point about your bet, Brett, I have only a 19% chance that Kansas wins seven plus games. I'll so it's an that. 81% chance that under 6.5 hits. I mean, that's a, a, a four out of five chance. I mean, that, that's really good value in a bet. So I think the, the market was certainly uh, too high on Kansas to begin. I know you said it's come down. I think that's probably right. The offense should be really good and really exciting. I'm projecting it to be a top 30 unit nationally. But you mentioned the defense last year. It might be a little better this year, but I'm still projecting it to be sub 100. It's the worst in the Big 12. I have, the Can- I have Kansas as the favorite, Brett, in two of their three non-conference games to open the season. And they're just a 1.5 point home underdog to Illinois right now by my numbers on the road. That's all they are away from being favored in all three. I favor them again to open conference play at home against BYU, but then I don't favor them again the rest of the way. They catch Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Texas Tech in the conference schedule this year. Granted, the only one of those on the road is Texas. They have to play a lot of the toughest teams, though, in in the conference there. I like what Lance Leifold is doing. Um, If we look at my year-end K-4 ratings, just historically, like let's go back the last 10 years, Kansas never finished higher than 91st. They finished 91st in 2018. They finished 92nd in 2014. Never higher than 91st in the last 10 years until last year. They finished 55th. Coming into this year, they're 57th. So I love what's going on there. I think the program's still a work in progress, though. I just have a 41% chance to go bowling this year. But again, we're talking about Kansas football. If you would have said a year ago that in a year, I'm going to give you, like a year ago right now, before last season happened, in a year, I'm going to give you guys a 41% chance to go bowling. A year ago at this time, it was 1%. Now, of course, they made that 1% happen. It was crazy, but they did. If they would have said 41% chance a year ago, people would be thrilled. So I think just reframing our expectations of where this program was just 12 months ago, yes, you had an incredible season. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. I definitely did, and I'm not even a Kansas fan. You're right to enjoy it. You should enjoy it. There were great games or exciting games, all that stuff. I'm not saying this year can't be great and exciting too. I'm just saying temper the expectations a little bit and if you put your bar, hey, let's go bowling again, you're going to have a much better chance of being happy at the end of the year than if you're like, hey, we won six last year, let's shoot for eight. I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm looking at 5.2 on average, like I said, 41% chance to reach six. You can find under six at plus money still. I make them for 4.7 wins. I, again, I think I'm more pessimistic on them than most. I know that there's a lot of the sharp market is still kind of like, hey, this is still a six-win team. But I really think we saw their absolute ceiling. And they're bringing back the same roster. So sure, maybe they can get a little bit better in some regards. But are they going to beat West Virginia 55-42 to again? In overtime, mind you, because they scored on a pick six? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't see with them. I, I favor them in three games. Missouri State, BYU, Nevada. That game was interesting for me, Brett, because um, it was the first time since I've been doing the, uh, so I do the what if rankings too. Basically, it's my most deserving ranking. So how much have you achieved against your schedule relative to what would be expected so we can normalize all the schedules played in college football since there's such a discrepancy between most difficult and easiest. But I flip every one possession game. Every one score game, I flip it and say, okay, have you lost this game by one possession? In the what if world, you won it. That game was the first one though that I actually had to take a step back and think, wait a minute, because every overtime game I just flipped. But because there was the pick six in the overtime and they returned it and, and they actually won by more than one possession in terms of points. But I was like, this is an overtime game. So I actually had to change my wording and say, okay, every one possession and overtime game, not just every one, every one possession and overtime game, I'm flipping the result. The, the winner loses and the loser wins in the what if world. So uh, that you mentioned that Kansas-West Virginia game. That's what I'm always going to remember it for. Yep, Kansas-West Virginia, overtime 2022, made me alter my definition of what if because, um, yeah, I definitely had to think about it for a second, but I think it's the right thing to do. It, you're in overtime. Essentially, at that point, you're you're in a close game. It doesn't matter if you end up winning by 13 or whatever it was. Yeah. I, I'm not going to bet them outright, but I I, I just want to put it out there. That game at Nevada is weird. It's weird. I don't think Nevada is going to be very good. We talked about Nevada on another one. I don't think Kansas is going to lose it. But I've I've been to McKay Stadium. It has a track still around it. You sit 150 miles away from the field if you're sitting there. It's kind of sleepy. It's in Reno. People got better things to do in Reno and Tahoe and all that than watch a game against Kansas. 
I just want to know what the athletic director was thinking scheduling a game at Nevada. I wouldn't do that if I were them. It's a weird spot. I'll give you a, I'll give you, I think it could be weird. It's hard for me to see, Brad, I'll be honest. But if they do beat Illinois, if Kansas beats Illinois in week two, now you're 2-0 and and you're looking forward maybe to BYU. It's BYU's first Big 12 game in week four. It's at home for Kansas. Maybe you start overlooking Nevada a little bit. I think if, if they lose to Illinois, you're one and one. They're going to be like, we got to get this game. Like if we want to go bowling, this is a game that they're circling. We got to get it. And so at that point, I think all of the weirdness for me kind of goes out the window. But I'll give it to you if they beat Illinois and they're sitting there at 2-0. and Of course, I'm assuming they beat Missouri State in week one. Maybe they're peaking ahead of BYU. It's still hard for me to see. I got an 83% chance right now for Kansas to win that game against Nevada. I mean, that's five and six. That's You feel pretty good about it. But uh, let's talk more about that one as we get closer. I could see it maybe, depending on how that Illinois game goes. I also have the 83% chance, but I dare sportsbooks to give me more than two scores. Just do it. Give, give me 14, and I will bet Nevada. But yeah. I'm at 13 and a half right now. <laughs> Conversation for another day. I do want to talk about the rest of the newcomers because we did have a lengthy discussion about UCF. We'll be a little bit more concise with this, but we got BYU, Cincinnati, and Houston inbound. I think all these teams set up pretty similarly, honestly, just in different ways, if that makes sense. Cincinnati, complete rebuild, building up from the studs. They lost their entire coaching staff, and honestly, unless the Bearcats hired Jim Harbaugh or Ryan Day, I don't think they would have been totally satisfied, but to be honest, I don't love the Scott Satterfield hire. I think he was kind of on his way out at Louisville, despite their eight-win season. Uh, and the most of their talent from their last two seasons is is very gone. Uh, it's going to everything except for the logo in the stadium is going to be completely new about Cincinnati this year. BYU, the market and myself are both really low on the Cougars. Uh, the defense was just atrocious last year. I do like their hire with Jay Hill. Uh, I think he was a nice hire from Weber State. He brings in FCS All American at corner from Weber State as well. But this is an overnight fix. This unit was an absolute disaster. I'm also not a really big believer in Keaton Slovis, but I do like Aiden Robbins, who they pulled into the portal, 1,000-yard rusher from UNLV. Houston, I think they probably have the best future setup in terms of recruiting their own backyard because now they have big-time football. They're not going to be losing as many recruits, I don't think, to the A&Ms and Texas, although that is SEC football, so it's a little bit different. They do add Donovan Smith at quarterback. I think he's a fine add, but I think they really lack the talent level that you see in the other Big 12 teams. That is my really quick bullet notes on each one of them. But I want to know what you make for each of these new Big 12 uh, teams. I got, for Cincinnati, I got 5.8 projected wins, the number 54 nationally coming into the year, 58% chance to go bowling. So not much disagreement with you there. I also don't love the Satterfield hire, uh, if I'm being honest. 5.2 projected wins for BYU. That's number 55 nationally, so very, very close to Cincinnati. 41% chance to go bowling. Uh, slightly more difficult schedule for BYU. That's why you get the discrepancy to kind of the similar talent composite of Cincinnati. And then for Houston, uh, I got 5.1 projected wins. It's number 61 nationally. That's the worst in the Big 12. And just a 38% chance to go bowling. But I do think long-term, Houston is best positioned of any of the four new members of the conference, uh, the current four new members of the conference, to have success, though. And that's slightly more than, than UCF just because they're based in Texas. Same reasons I like Texas going to the SEC more than Oklahoma's prospects, despite recent history. I like Houston's prospects in the new Big 12 more than UCF's, just barely. Again, even though recent history would suggest maybe otherwise, because they're based out of Texas, Houston's a fertile recruiting ground. I think they can get, once they get going, I think Houston can keep it going in the new Big 12. I agree. I don't know if it's with Dana Holgerson, but I agree. Now, just so that we mention every team, because there are a lot of teams we didn't talk about. If we did, we'd be here for another hour. But I want to do some rapid-fire buy or sell. One word, one sentence, kind of just, you know, what is buy and sell? I'm going to leave it open. Maybe compare it to the program trajectory or just compare it to last year. But let's start off with Baylor. I'm going to buy Baylor. I absolutely love Dave Brianna. He's one of my favorite coaches in all of college football. I'm going to buy the Bears. I think I'm with you. I will also buy Baylor, like their coaching. Iowa State. Listen, I have to sell Iowa State because of the off-the-field stuff. Until we get more resolution on that or we figure out exactly what's going on, we see some definitive things. I, I mentioned I like Dave Aranda. It's funny. I actually like Matt Campbell a ton, too. Like Some of my favorite coaches in college football are actually in the Big 12. Love Matt Campbell. I think he's great for Iowa State. Hope he stays there a very long time. Have to sell the Cyclones until we get some resolution on what all that stuff's looking like. Yeah, I'm with you. There's a very good chance they could go 1-11 and if, if the hammer really comes down. Oklahoma State. 
Uh, selling Oklahoma State, but it's worth noting they do have the easiest schedule in the conference this year. So they could be set up for maybe a surprise run, but I'm going to sell them. I'm just not I'm not there. I don't like the feel around this program. I It bothers me that the best quarterback that they could bring in in the portal is uh, – I just blanked out his name. <laughs> Alan Bowman. All right, let me – let me uh, put a little cut in there real quick because I completely whiffed on that. I had it like I, was, I kept thinking Aiden Robbins. Anyway, um, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think I saw Oklahoma State too. I, I don't love the, the vibes around the program. The fact that Alan Bowman was the best transfer quarterback they could bring, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sit right with me. Texas Tech. I'm going to buy Texas Tech. I think the program's pointing straight up. I really like Joey McGuire. Not to the same level that I like Dave Aranda and Matt Campbell. They've been doing it longer. They've got the more more of a track record. But I got one year of data, really, on, on Joey McGuire at a big-time program here. I'm, I'm buying it. I'm with you. I think it's the square position. Well, maybe not the square. Maybe it's a sharp position. But it's like every all the sharps are on Texas Tech. So I, I do like Texas Tech as well. And then uh, West Virginia. I'm selling the Mountaineers. They have the second most difficult schedule in the conference, uh, including facing the single most difficult collection of opposing FBS offenses this year. Got to sell West Virginia. Yeah, me too. I, I honestly don't think Neil Brown makes a passer by week. It's tough. They, they have a one and four schedule setting up with their lone win being Duquesne. Uh, just a brutal start. But that is a wrap. That is the Big 12. A little long-winded, but there's a lot going on with this conference. A lot of interesting stuff. Hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans, get live updates in the College Football Channel, and join a sharp and very active community. Now that football season is around, we are getting fired back up in there. Don't forget to subscribe to Aligned YouTube for daily sports betting strategy videos and comment your thoughts on the Big 12. I'm sure you've got some, be it about Kansas or UCF or Texas. I know you got them. Before we get out of here, Kelly, please plug your work. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, Brett. Um, happy to be a part of the team here at thelines.com. You can find me on X, uh, I guess formerly Twitter, at KFord Ratings, and then also uh, my website, kfordratings.com. Those two places have everything that I'm putting out college football related. You can find me on Twitter at Road to CFB. I will not back down on that. But thank you, as always, for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.